Hi everyone, and welcome to How to College for First Gens, our podcast where we get together over some coffee from our amazing sponsors to have real conversations about what it's like to be a first-generation college student before, during, and after college. Our goal here is to democratize knowledge that we've gained along the way, learn a bit more about being first gens, and hopefully help others going through some of the same challenges we've experienced by sharing some lessons learned of other fellow first gens. I am Norma Torres Mendoza, one of the podcast co-hosts, a first-generation college student myself who also experienced the roller coaster of this journey. I am extremely excited about today's episode on beginning organizations and clubs in high school and in college. I especially love this because I myself love to build things and I've started a lot of initiatives, organizations, and clubs in my time. So let's hear what two people have done, one in high school, Michelle, and one in college, Alberto, and how they stepped out of their comfort zones to begin something completely fabulous. Let's get started. As always, we will begin with our high school phase. Today, we have Andrea on the show from the Rio Grande Valley. Hi, Andrea. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. Please tell us a little bit about yourself. My name is Andrea Landeros. I grew up in a small colonia called Muniz here in Edinburgh, Texas, and I am currently a senior at Idea Toros College Prep. So I'm really excited for the application process into college. It must be a big year for you. Tell me, how is it going with COVID? Are you online 100% or are you going to school? At the moment, we're only doing online, but maybe in the future we'll go back with the precautions, of course. Right. So our audience might not know about your school. So can you tell us a little bit about Idea Toros? What is it like going there? Well, one of the reasons I attended Idea Toros was because of the academics and I also wanted to reconnect with soccer. So Idea Toros mainly focuses in using an online platform where we do self-directed learning. We still have the teachers to help us out when it's needed. However, the purpose of this program is to become more independent so that the transition into college is easier. How did you first learn that you were a first-generation college student? When my parents told me about their school careers and how they didn't have the benefit of going to high school, my dad fortunately did. However, that was the last that he did. No, yeah, I definitely remember the first time my mom sat me down and she told me that she was only able to complete up to the third grade, which to me seemed crazy because third grade is so small, right? But it turned out that that's all that she could in rural Mexico. So I learned from a very young age that I was also going to be the first one in my family to go to college. But tell me a little bit about your family. I think you have some older siblings, right? Yes, I have two older brothers. My eldest brother's name is Uriel. He is an artist and he graduated from the University of Houston. The second oldest is Mike. He graduated from the University of Heidelberg and is currently in the Marines. And then I have an older sister that is going into her second semester in UTRGV. And then my two parents. 
So how does that make you feel now that you have some examples to follow in your family? The, the four of you are now first generation. Does that make you nervous, excited? Does it give you comfort because somebody else has been able to do it? Well, having them really helps during the application process. And I'm a bit nervous about it, but I think overall, I'm really excited. I'm excited to face new challenges and meet new people and finding what I really love to do. And college will definitely help you do that because you'll, you'll begin to ask yourself some good questions about what you like and you dislike. So we're going to talk a little bit about your high school here. Well, first, I want to ask you, do you see yourself as an innovator? Why or why not? I wouldn't see myself as an innovator, but I feel like I'm in the steps of becoming one. Everyone has like parts where they need to grow in, and I think that I still need to work on myself. Sometimes I get nervous, and it's hard for me to really speak myself but I think that with creating clubs and being more open that that will slowly start to go away and once I am able to be more open that I will call myself an innovator. Oh I see I understand so you think that there are some skills that you still have to learn to be able to call yourself an innovator but I would argue that in many ways you already are an innovator because you have started clubs so tell us a little bit about that First of all, what clubs did you start? And then what was that process like? In my sophomore year, I was the founding president of our Spanish Honor Society, or in, or in Spanish it would be Sociedad Hispanica Honoraria. And it was quite challenging because I was scared of not being a good leader. However, throughout time, I found comfort in being the president. And I would always try to make people feel welcome and have that sense of team and family with us. Why did you think it's important to have a Hispanic honor society in our campus? Well, one of the main reasons I decided to start this club was because at the time, my school did not have many clubs. Our club was one of the first clubs to exist at our school and my Spanish teacher and I felt that starting this club would bring more culture and pride to our school. So just so our audience knows, your school is fairly new, right? When did it open its doors? I believe it opened in 2018. So because there weren't many clubs that allowed the opportunity for you to begin this, but you could have started many things, right? You could have done a recycling club. You could have done an ice skating club. Why specifically a Hispanic Honor Society club? Well, having all mainly Hispanic or Latin, Spanish-speaking students, we felt that this would comfort the students and it would help us learn more about our culture and other Spanish-speaking countries. And it was also because since we didn't have a permanent building at the time, we kept moving. Our school needed that school spirit and we felt that with this, we could bring that school spirit. So Andrea, what I'm hearing is really interesting because you are saying there was a gap that you were trying to fulfill. So you were trying to build culture and community. And so what events did you have via your club to be able to bring that community forward? We had weekly meetings where we would talk about how our days were going, our struggles. And then sometimes we would learn about Spanish-speaking countries. We would differentiate and compare all the cultures which was pretty cool and we got to know more about each other's cultures that way 
So give us an example of a Spanish-speaking country that you didn't know much about and that via this club you were able to learn more about. I remember learning about Christmas around the world in Spanish-speaking countries and there was a certain story. It really impacted me. Like I didn't know how different Christmas was celebrated around the world. So you learned the differences via this club. But I think there are some requirements, right? Could everybody be part of this club or were there only specific requirements that people had to meet to be part of it? There were some specific requirements. For example, you had to have a certain number of community service hours and you also had to take an AP course. But since AP classes, like Spanish classes specifically, and some people didn't have the required amount of community service hours, we decided to create the Spanish club, which would be more lenient about the requirements. And that way, more students would be able to join and be a part of this club. I really like that because what you were saying is that there were some limitations, but you still wanted people to participate. So then you pivoted to do something that would allow access to more people. And so Andrea, that is what an innovator does. An innovator realizes that, oh, wait a minute, maybe this is not fulfilling the need that I want. So I'm going to try something else. So let me ask you, who helped you create this now new Spanish club? I got a lot of help from my Spanish teacher and my parents. They were my support system. And the reason why my Spanish teacher is one of my support systems was because without her, I wouldn't be as confident as I am now in starting a club. And my parents would always be there for me. They would support me in everything. They would move their schedules in order for me to like, attend every meeting and make sure that I'm okay, that I'm confident in myself in doing the speeches and things like that. So they were really helped through the process. So let's dig in a little bit deeper to each one of them. So tell me first, let's begin with your Spanish teacher. What did she do specifically to help you? And what's her name, by the way? My Spanish teacher is Ms. Goldines. She helped me create the process of accepting students. With her help, we created some questions. And then with those questions, we would decide who would enter the club or not. And so some of the questions, it would be like, where are you from? What? Why are you interested? interested in Spanish club or Sociedad Hispanica Honoraria. And then we would also ask what they could contribute to our club or what they thought our club was about. And then based on that, we would give them a score for us to get to know them. And she really helped me through that process because I remember I was really, really nervous about interviewing people. It was my first time. And so she helped me calm my nerves. She gave me like a little bag of gummy bears that really helped calm me and it was really fun. I feel like it would be different if I didn't have her help. So it sounds like she helped you in two fronts. Obviously, the practical is helping you put an application together, but she was also a support system. So what would she tell you when you felt really nervous to get up in front of a crowd and give a speech or do those interviews? She would tell me that it would be okay and that even if I messed up, that they wouldn't remember because having this club, they would only remember the good parts, the good memories. And as long as I believed in myself that this club, a place where everyone would feel comfortable and learn and engage. I really like that. 
heads off to your teacher out there. So let's now talk a little bit more about your parents. So you mentioned that they changed their maybe their work hours to be able to pick you up. How else were they supportive in the process? Well, my dad, since he he was mainly the one taking me or waiting after school until I got out. And my mom, she would always give me the courage when I felt scared of presenting the date before. She would always cook me my favorite food so that I can gain that courage. And she would tell me to gain strength with this food. So I really appreciated that from them because they helped me in their own little ways. So tell us a little bit about the lessons that you learned from starting this club. For once, it sounds like you were really concerned about being a good leader. How do you think that turned out? A takeaway from creating this club would be that sometimes things don't go as planned. And it's important to keep yourself up even if you don't. For example, when I was nervous and I would struggle with public speaking, sometimes I would mess up, but instead of beating myself up for it, I would try to find new ways of how I can make it better next time. So what tips or advice do you have for some of our high school listeners who aren't the best, if you will, at public speaking? How could they improve? How did you improve? I would start talking more to the club members and get to know them more outside what they like or what they do outside of school. And I would try to create those friendships first. That way, when you're up there speaking, it would be easier. I really like that. I once read in a book that people will not remember what you said to them, but people will always remember how you made them feel. So it sounds like you built those relationships and that's how you became more comfortable. Yeah, I would say so. So do you consider your club to be successful? Why or why not? I would consider it successful because at the time we still had a small amount of students. Even now we have about 200 students in our school. And when we first started our club, we had about 20 members, including myself. And with the Spanish club, we got to have more students involved in learning about other countries and creating the school culture that we wanted. Our goal was accomplished. Andrea, I'm still trying to understand a little bit of why do you believe understanding other people's cultures is important? I agree with you 100%, but I'm just wondering if you can expand on why you think that's important. It's important because we don't want to disrespect someone. We always want to try to be respectful towards others so that we don't break relationships. So would you do it all over again, knowing how hard it was, knowing that your parents had to change their schedules to drop you off, knowing that your mom had to make some extra caldo de reses for you to give you that energy? Would you do it over again? Of course, I would love to do it again because the experience, although it was difficult at times, it was really, really fun. And I was so happy to be a part of this and create all these friendships and create this space where people feel comfortable and are able to express themselves. So do you think in college you might start something different? And if so, what, what would you like to start next? 
If there isn't already a club like this in college, I would like to create a community service club because I really enjoy spending time with the community and helping them in any way I can. So you are about to graduate, I guess, in a couple of months. Um, what is your dream school, first of all? One of my top choices right now is Rice and the University of Houston. Great. So you're going to leave your school. And do you think the Spanish club will continue to live without you? I believe now that we have a place to call home, that this club will start growing slowly but surely. So what are you going to do specifically to make sure that the club that you started and that you spent a lot of hours creating continues to live without you? One of the things I wanted to do was write a letter to the future president of encouragement because I think being president is a bit scary but once you start the club the school semester and you overcome that first step it's really really fun and I hope that the next president really enjoys it and is able to bring more people and enjoy it with them. So how do you think we can encourage more innovators more people to start clubs and organizations and maybe later on businesses what do you think we as a society can do to encourage more of you? One of the first things that people have to get comfortable with is failure <laughs> because there will be lots of failures but with that comes more success and I think that even if you do have mistakes there will always be something to improve. You'll always be able to improve and grow as a person. So I think that ties it all together. We appreciate you so much for taking the time to chat with us. I am very excited for what your future holds. I think you are an innovator and I think that you are going to create either more clubs or organizations or business in the future. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Wonderful. Well, until next time, Andrea. Next, we will move on to our college phase with my good friend Alberto Rodriguez, who started Mariachi Luna Llena over at Rice University. Hi, Alberto. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Doing well, Norma. Thank you for having me. We're super excited about this episode. So let's begin by you telling our audience a little bit about you. All right, perfect. So hi, I'm Alberto Rodriguez. I'm actually from Laredo, Texas. I graduated Rice University with a civil engineering degree in 2015, and I am now a principal solution consultant for Genesis. I'm also the proud founder of Rice University Mariachi Luna Llena, and I am a first-generation student. And my, by the way, my favorite uh, tea is uh, peach hot tea. Oh, I like that. Okay. So in another world, theoretically, we would be having this conversation in person. So I love all of that. Let's dig in a little bit deeper. So tell me, how did you first learn you were a first generation college student? I think I learned I was a first generation college student during high school because that's when really the college process starts and when people start figuring out, you know, where where people are from and, and what, what first generation really means. I had seen my brother and my sister go through it first. So they actually went through college. So even with that, though, I think it still felt extremely hard considering, you know, all the college options. And I had no clue how important it was to go visit schools and check on your applications and all that process. 
it was extremely hard to go through that process, especially when it also includes financial well-being. I think for Latinos, parents never really touched the topic of finances. And I had to go through that while applying to college and, and during college. So yeah. And then during rights, I also kind of felt that, I, you know, I thought I thought I was prepared for college, but I quickly figured out that I didn't even know how to study. <laughs> I didn't think, I don't think anyone really told me about that. I think uh, I struggled the most figuring out how to study and get some sort of routine. And it wasn't until I got mentors and friends experiencing the same thing that I learned the routine and study habits that worked for me. So what are some of those study habits that did work for you? Yeah. So I think one of the, some of the study habits that I developed was actually simple as it is, is reading the book, right? Taking notes um, with by hand. That definitely helped me out. I just, I couldn't, I know some people are very good at writing notes on uh, the computer, but whenever I do that, I completely don't remember them. So I actually developed a habit of writing notes, how to write notes, because it's a whole different topic that we could talk about for an hour. <laughs> That's definitely something that helped me go through the studying process and, and the college process. Yeah. And I think what you're mentioning here is knowing thyself and knowing what works for you. And I think you quickly learned that you must write it or else you'll forget it. Yeah, definitely. So tell me, how did you get to rice? I grew up in Monterrey, Mexico, till I was about eight years old. And then I moved to Laredo, Texas. And I think that's when I decided that I wanted to go to college, right? And one of the programs that I actually was able to get into during my junior year of high school was the MITES program in MIT. So it's minor Minority Introduction to Engineering and Science. MITES, right? M-I-T-E-S. And that program changed my life. I knew I wanted to do something. I knew I wanted to go to college. Didn't know which one before going to MITES. I was probably going to follow my brother's footsteps and go to either Texas A&M or UT. And then after that program, I just completely opened my eyes to everything. There was 70 students, I think around one or two per, per state. So I really got to see how big the U.S. was and the opportunities that were outside of my town, right, of Laredo. And that's when I just started applying to different colleges and it just gave me a new vision of what college really was. I am a true believer in what, what we call the pipeline programs. And the pipeline programs are basically the mites of the world, the PPIAs of the world, and all of those resources can be found on our website. These programs really open our eyes to what could be out there. And for you, ultimately, it sounds like that's what led you to RICE. So tell me, when you got to RICE, did you feel like you belonged there? Did you feel like, yes, I made the right decision? I was looking and interested now at rankings, right? And one of the rankings was uh, Rice has the happiest students. And it was through that that I really was convinced about going to Rice. And that leads me to getting there. And I, at first I was, it was difficult. I think, you know, even though you're in Texas and you're in Houston and there's a big Latino portion of people, of demographics, it still was tough for me, especially leaving family because it was my first time leaving my family. I had, I had some organizations, but during freshman year, I just... I was trying to study, focus so hard on school. And what I realized, Norma, was that you have to feel at home. You have to feel comfortable for you to do well in school as well. So the first year I was struggling. And then I, so I joined ASED, which was the Hispanic Association of Culture Enrichment at Rice. And that gave me a sense of community. That gave me a sense of welcoming. And it's something that I definitely needed to succeed. So not only did I need to do well in school and, and study well, but I also needed to feel like I was, I belonged there, right? And that club gave me that feeling. 
I really like what you're saying, Alberto, because on the one part, obviously, the academics is what you're there for. But on the other part, the social cultural well-being really matters to a college experience. And I am wondering if that is where you got the genesis for beginning this mariachi or at what point did you realize I can take my singing by myself at this <laughs> table and make it an actual club. It's funny because that was one of the moments. So going back to where we got, when I was, when I came to Laredo, Texas and moved from Monterrey, I, my family really wanted to keep the culture, the Mexican culture alive. And my parents wanted us to speak Spanish at home. They never wanted us to, to forget where we came from. So a 10 year old boy being dropped off at elementary with, with, uh, Songs from Juan Gabriel or Rocio Durcal or Vicente Fernandez, you know, <laughs> loved it. I loved it. It was something that I was passionate about. And both of my parents' side were musically inclined, but my dad's side, he actually was in a band as well. And he had, and my uncles were in a band together and they opened up for famous artists like Joan Sebastian, Leodan, Fito Olivares. So really big artist names. So yeah, it was always something that I just really enjoyed. And by the way, living in a border town, one of the programs that you have have in public education is a mariachi program in middle school and high school. So they offered that. And my older brother was in mariachi, middle school and high school. And I just, I loved it. I loved going to his performances. I felt like I was singing. I felt I was a little boy dancing and singing in their performances and in their competitions. I was just so proud of that culture. And I loved it. It was, it was the music that I grew up with. So once I got to middle school, we're getting to rise. Once I got to middle school, I myself was in mariachi. Then in high school, I was in three different groups. I was in the high school one. I was in a professional one. I was in a, in a church one. And then I went to Rice and I said, I remember telling my parents, I was like, you know what? I am not, you know, I'm not going to do any organizations. I was in so many organizations in high school, but I really, you know, Rice is a hard school. I need to focus on school. And that's when we go back to what I was talking. I quickly realized that first year that it was, I needed to figure out how to study, but also the social side. And when I did that, and actually, I actually sang two in, I said that same organization hosts a event every year showcasing different talents, singing and dancing and whatnot, I actually sang that same song at the end of that event. And it just reminded me how much I missed that norm. It reminded me how much I loved it, passion for it, my roots. It just was a combination of everything where I was like, I, the, I can't do college without this. I have to do, for my own well-being, I have to do this. And, and that's kind of how uh, Mariachi Luna Yena got started, Arise. When I think about you, Alberto, I think that you were born to be on stage. There is something about you that radiates not only the culture piece, but the happiness that you get while you're singing. But you got this idea and you said, okay, I'm going to start this mariachi. Who was the first person you went to to make sure that this wasn't just an idea and it became a reality? One of the people that I went to, a mentor that that now is is also a mentor for the mariachi is two individuals. One of them is Richard Tapia and David Medina. And in Rice University, in order to start an organization, you need a mentor. And one of the things that I actually go back and if I look back at when I started this organization, I really think if I would have come in freshman year, not knowing anyone trying to start an organization, I would have not gone anywhere. But because of these mentors, 
because I was able to know them through organizations, like I said, I developed a bond with them. And so I was able to start this organization. And it was with them that we went over the business plan. We developed the business plan. We talked about how we can make this into a reality. And it became a reality in 2013. So how did you even know you could get other people to sing with you? I mean, for those people that know, Rice happens to be a very scholarly institution with a lot of engineers and a lot of scientists. Did you, How did you know there are going to be enough of us to even start a group? How many people does it even take to start a group? It varies, right? You're at least, you need at least one per instrument, around, which is six people. But everyone likes those big mariachis, right? So I wanted to, I definitely, my goal was always to be 10 plus groups, especially for performances. If one can't make it, you can, you can have someone as backup. And you are completely right. That was the first issue that I came around with in the beginning. And I said, can I even do this? Can I even find the people? Because it's also very unique talent right? It's, it's very unique instruments. So it's the pipeline of talents. It has to be very unique. And people that know mariachi and want to be in a mariachi, right? So I started with the Latino organizations. I started going and recruiting people from there, asking people if they played guitar, if they played violin, anything. And then I went a little bit further. That's when I realized that my the mission of this this group the mission of this group always was to educate people about mariachi and see their performances so i went a little bit above the latino community and that's when i started reaching out to other organizations and other groups and you know we do have a music school so why not reach out to that that's when the idea got to me and so i had some friends that were in the music school and i started recruiting people that knew how to play the violin that way i didn't have to teach it because i didn't know how to play the violin so with my relationships with my friends i was able to recruit other people from uh, from other organizations and develop this this mariachi with the talent that i needed when people look at the mariachi just a physical look it is a diverse group of people and i am wondering what that process was like what was it like teaching mariachi to someone who had never ever heard mariachi before that process was hard yeah one of the things that i relied on a lot was i knew I love mariachi music. I knew what it what it meant to me. But teaching it is, is something different. And Mario Bencomo, who is a graduate student, before I started this mariachi group, had start had done a presentation about how about mariachi and he plays the trumpet and you know about the trumpet in his grad student class. And someone told me when I was voicing out that I was starting this mariachi, told me, hey, there's this grad student that done presentations about mariachi. And he really became this friend, mentor, colleague that helped me out start this mariachi because he brought the expertise of the background and the teaching side of it. And he was really able to become what he was. His title was musical director. So he became that musical director. So when we would bring people, he really taught mariachi. So what I'm hearing is you did some reflection and you realized that obviously you were lacking some skills. So you went and looked for somebody else who could complement those skills that you knew were needed to be successful, but that you obviously couldn't bring to the table. Exactly. So Rice is a really diverse school. And I just want to hear your thoughts on this. Why do you think there wasn't a mariachi before? And why do you think it took so many years after Rice being in the most diverse city in the United States to have something so culturally important 
not just for rice, but for our city? I really think it was, it's the talent, right? And because it just requires very unique talent. Let's just talk about other universities in the Houston area. University of Houston, they just created their mariachi group recently. So five, ten, five, six years after our mariachi program at Rice University. So it really is about having the precise talent and then having the ability to not only recruit the talent, but be able to duplicate it once someone leaves, right? So again, creating that pipeline of talent. So let's talk a little bit about that. So you graduated. How did you know that your legacy was going to continue? Because we all know of many programs that revolve around one person. And then once that person leaves, the program kind of dies. So what did you do to make sure that it was sustainable after you? There's three things that I focused on when I started my Luna One of them was, you know, you always have to focus on the financials. The marketing was another thing that I focused on, especially again, for recruiting internally and externally, right? And also to promote our services. And the last thing that I focused on was talent itself, right? The pipeline of talent. So since the beginning, I knew that I wanted this organization to not just be here for two, three years while I was in school, but continue on. So to develop that, I created this business plan around that. Two things I focused on for the longevity of it was again, the marketing and the talent. I started making sure that all our marketing material had a centralized location, something as simple as that. Nothing tied to my name that could be passed on from one person to another. And the pipeline, the talent. I actually developed a student course at Rice University to be able to generate this talent. So it was an official class at Rice. And that ensured that we have not only uh, consistent marketing messages from years to years, but also a pipeline of talent. It's very important for mariachis because of the unique instruments that are required. So tell us a little bit about this class. Obviously, the mission was to continue the sustainability, but what were you teaching I developed the framework and Itzhak Inojosa was actually the one that taught it after I left Rice University. And the reason was I wanted to make sure again to develop that pipeline, but also to educate on what mariachi really was. Like I told you, I never really, really focused on that when I was doing the mariachi. I was focused on go, go, go. Let's get our name out there. Then I had to step back. And when I started the group, I really wanted it to be a group to teach what mariachi is and how what it means to, to everyone. So this class was not only able to teach the history of mariachi, but they also played music. So they were teaching the music of mariachi. And this eventually led to a pipeline of those people became members. Looking back now, do you think this initiative, organization, club, Mariachi Luna Llena, was a successful endeavor? I think it was a huge success. And Mariachi Luna really has become a staple in the Houston community. We we have performed in many, many events for people, including like Tim Kaine when he was campaigning in 2016 for Hillary Clinton, Representative Sheila Jackson Lee. We opened up for Los Lobos, the band. The Mariachi was able to perform the National Anthem and the Houston Rockets with the Houston Astros. The Mariachi even went to Peru to perform in a festival in Peru. So to me, that is what I wanted. That is what I wanted out of this mariachi was just to continue that legacy and continue being a place where mariachi music was taught around the world. I do want to hone in a little bit on you specifically. What do you think your legacy was at Rice University? My legacy was setting up an avenue for different musicians of all different races. I don't know 
the demographics of all the mariachi groups, but I really proud myself in saying the Rice University had one of the most diverse mariachi groups. But I think I was able to cultivate this group that became a family with the end goal being trying to advocate for the Latino community. I really like that. So do you consider yourself to be an innovator? I did develop this amazing organization and had the many struggles of any innovator, but I was doing what I love to do. And to me, I was just trying to create this ambience of great musicians. So I'm sure it's done, been done before, but it was something new at Rice and I'm proud of it. I'm proud of doing that. You began your sentence with the passion piece. And oftentimes, I think as innovators and entrepreneurs, we find ourselves really beginning things because we are passionate about them. Not because we are looking to create a legacy out there, but because there is something that we want and we love. And whether it's access to education, like this podcast, or if it's music, but we begin there. And then from there, that passion springs to really cool organizations and really cool innovations. So I would argue, Alberto, that you are an innovator. So from one innovator to another, I am wondering what piece of advice do you have for college students out there? who are also looking to begin new organizations on their campuses. Follow your passions, surround yourself with mentors, and always voice your dreams, hopes, and desires. Well, with that, we thank you so much, Alberto, for spending some time with us and our audience and hopefully inspiring the next innovators and entrepreneurs that are coming after us. So thank you. Thank you. No, thank you, Norma. As you heard today, starting a new club or organization is not an easy task, but you will always be guaranteed that it will push you to your limits, it will get you out of your comfort zone, and it will help you create relationships that you never even dreamed of. In the case of Andrea, she started a Spanish club where she can come together with other friends and discuss different cultural identities of various Spanish-speaking countries. Although she is shy and she hates public speaking, this initiative has helped her to grow and become a better human being because of it. Next, we moved on to our college phase with Alberto, who started a mariachi over at Rice University. This mariachi gave many avenues for many different things, for example, it not only provided the Houston community with beautiful music, but it also gave presenters and musicians a space to learn and collaborate to create something beautiful. They both gave us some tricks and tips on how you might think about beginning your own club or your own organization. Don't be afraid. Take risks. Sometimes you will fail. That's just part of it. But you never know what might come out of it. You too might have a phenomenal club or a phenomenal organization that might connect people or cultures. Remember, you are not alone in this journey. Feel free to reach out to Andrea or Alberto if you want to hear more about how you can start your organization. Next up, we will be talking to two post-college phase first gens who started their own ventures. Stay tuned. Until next time.